reached the top and had to stop and that's what's bothering me. I wanna be a man, man. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash mouse madness. Kyle, we're back talking death. We're back spooky season. Whether uh, you're someone who observes Halloween and all of the uh, ghoulish spirits there or uh, maybe celebrates Dia de los Muertos where you think about all of your lost loved ones and a lot of the fond memories you might have had with them. Totally. And, you know, we're we're halfway through spooky season. We're going to have some more spooky topics coming up uh, right after this bracket. We're really excited about. But this discussion on like best death is a weird one because it's like we never truly defined what we find as best. But there are some things that poke through a little bit, right? What, what influences the story? How epic is the death? And it's it's been fun to talk about it. And I think that we're going to have some really, really tough battles uh, here in this Elite Eight all the way to the crown. And to help us decide who truly died the best Disney way, it is Emily and Michael. Welcome back, you two. Thank you. Glad to be back. Yeah. So since last time, I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen someone shake their head at us as much as you did, Emily. Have you recovered from part one? no because i just this this is gonna be even worse because i you know it's really interesting because i'm not like a very argumentative person as much as you would want to believe but like i have very strong disney opinions so i think that's where the problem lies that i just yeah i like you guys make very valid points but yeah no it's just just wrong sorry Don't, don't you just hate us for being valid sometimes (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've never seen someone get so worked up over uh moana's grandma's death uh until you did i was like wow i didn't even know that people remembered that her grandma died well moana is one of my like favorite disney movies so i i mean i literally would watch that movie like on repeat in a single day like no question i love the soundtrack i think like everything about it is just straight perfection and the fact that she's now getting her recognition because she doesn't even have her own ears and that's a whole thing that i would love to discuss with disney (laughs) now she's in the parades and like she's able to like go and meet people and i'm like Finally. And again, may I bring back happily ever after every single time that her song comes on, it just the whole like crowd just freaks out. So I don't know. I, I just love Moana, but. Uh, uh, are you juiced about um, the world of Moana Epcot walkthrough adventure? Oh my gosh. You don't even know. Like I, <laughs> straight up like I'm not the kind of person who will show up day one because like I have the AP so like I don't want to have to wait you know whatever but like this could be the day that I show up I will yes so when that happens I will let you know (laughs) 
And then follow-up question, have you watched uh, Magic Happens Parade from Disneyland? No. So it's really interesting because like I have only ever been to Disney World and I don't know a lot about Disneyland. Like the, you know, different, like how they, like how the rides compare, how the different parks compare. So I, I really am not well educated on what goes on on the West Coast. <laughs> um, but if you're telling me there's something with Moana, then I will check it out. Yes. Magic Happens. Magic Happens Parade has an entire Moana section to it, and I think you would really enjoy it. All right. Well, uh, before we dig into these deaths, let's dig into some spoonfuls of sugar. Kyle, what do you have today? All right. After uh, Bing Bong's banging juice concoction that I had last week, uh, I decided to get back to beer. So I'm having something called the Sleeping Chamber, which I feel like is very appropriate for best Disney death. Uh, bracket. It is from Wondrous Brewing Company, which I just found out about about two weeks ago uh, while I was in Emeryville, California, home to Pixar Animation Studios. There is a brewery that's literally on the other side of the Pixar campus, and it has some really nice beers. This is a West Coast IPA, uh, very juicy, almost on the hazy side, but not too hazy. So the citrusy doesn't really fight through like you would think. I have it in this like pirate's mug that I've got. And it's delicious. Very happy with it. Uh, Chris, what you got this week? Uh, moving out of New York City has been quite um, an eye-opening experience. Okay. When you when you live in, in the city, you are f- a forced minimalist. You, you only have so much room in your apartment for things. You only have so much room in your refrigerator for things. And all of the stores that you go to buy things also only have so much room for things. So you just you can't really like acquire a lot. It's just impossible. Sure. So moving out here, like I said, I went to, I went to Bevmo and, and like, I, I'm, I'm finding myself to be a maximalist all of a sudden where I'm well, like, I want all of the things. Okay. I have never had the opportunity to buy that. I've never seen that in a store before. So I want it. I want to try it. I didn't, I didn't realize there were so many flavors <laughs> of frozen pizzas out there till I, till I moved out of the city. There's a lot. Um, so I'm at Bevmo and I'm looking at like all these alcohols. I'm like, never seen that before. Now, I mean, so I picked something that I have seen before. I have heard of it, but I've never tried it. I uh, never gathered the courage. It is a hard kombucha. Oh, duh. okay. So I, um, I went through a kombucha phase when I was in LA, of course, obviously of course, because Southern LA. California. Um, and I quite enjoyed my kombucha phase but haven't really dabbled in hard kombucha. So I, I'm giving it a shot. This is Dr. Hops. There's a little bunny on it. Okay. Uh, it's like maybe Turnt Boy Thumper. He's vibing. 8%. For sure. This is a, uh, this is a, a hard, hard kombucha. Huh? So, so this is strawberry lemon. The thing though, is that I remember you have to shake kombucha before you drink it. So do you have to shake hard kombucha before you drink it do it for the content baby it's gonna explode all over my computer and all of our patreon <laughs> funds will be going towards a new laptop so i'm gonna not shake it but i'm gonna try it this is either gonna be really bad or really okay it smells like a butt well kombucha oh it tastes okay though okay well, that's good. Would you? Uh, uh, maybe not. <laughs> kombucha, kombucha girl. Kombucha girl, yeah, literally. 
the stage. I'm not gonna drink any more of that. Oh, actually, no. I'm okay. Oh no, I'm good. All right. Well, hey, I tried it. I experienced it. Right. We can we can appreciate that. Um, but it's over now. It's good. <laughs> I can I can not have that again and be okay. Uh, Emily and Michael, what do, what do you guys got? So, um, kind of ran out of something. So <laughs> I just had to scurry through the fridge and got myself a nice Michelob Ultra. Let's go. Very refreshing, you know, low calorie, low carb, nothing very special, but it'll do the job. Emily, you still on the, the oh, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> still the hellfire on that end. All right. Amazing. Well, drinks are in hand, so you know what time it is. Pull of the pod. We are on the search for Mr. Tom Morrow and these decks of Upper Deck 50th Anniversary Disneyland Trading Cards. Mr. Tom Morrow was an animatronic that was in Interventions and the old Disneyland attraction, Rocket to the Moon. We are on the hunt. Once we find Mr. Tom Morrow, we can end the search forever. (laughs) We have opened up so many packs of cards. I have so many cards sitting next to me on this desk. And I am excited because I, I feel good. I feel good about this pack. Let's see how long how long that good feeling lasts. Chris? Hmm? We are on his trail. The first card is 1955's Rocket to the Moon. We are That's on close his as we've trail. Come so far. This is as close as we have gotten. This is the attraction that Mr. Tom Morrow is in. He served as the spacecraft missions director for this attraction. And we are so close. We are on his tail. Rocket to the Moon was in Tomorrowland. If you ever watch any of the old Disneyland specials or see any maps or see any footage from those days, you see the massive TWA rocket. And that is where this attraction was hosted. Uh, Pretty great. The photo on the front is like a, a family with a lot of kids. It's a, it looks like a mom and a dad and one, two, three, four, five, six boys with a, a, a uh, <laughs> with the astronaut. Um, all right, Tom Morrow, we are on your trail. All right. 1959's debut attraction is the next card and it is the submarine voyage right before it turns into Nemo's hot box adventure. Mm. This uh, is a solid pack so far. So far, so good. Uh, I feel like we're rotating through now that I get a look at the next one. I feel like we've gotten the subs before, but maybe not. We've opened up a lot, but these are the original subs before Nemo's Adventure uh, shows up, Undersea Adventure or whatever it's called. Uh, There were eight original submarines when the ride opened. The Nautilus, the Triton, Seawolf, Skate, Skipjack, George Washington, Patrick Henry, and Ethan Allen. Those are the names of the original submarines. Uh, mm-hmm. in this in this attraction i had no idea uh and on the front is the like the gray sub photo from 1959 so there you go 1955's debut attraction mr toad's wild ride did we not pull this exact card i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure we right? got that one already the the photo of the toad statue on the front with the toad statue on the back i swear to god tom so- morrow isn't in this booster pack yeah, so that's the thing is now if we're getting duplicates, that means that we might have ones we don't get. So dude, it's game over for us, dude. That's game over for us. We got time. We still got time. We got some got time, time, but uh, it's not this pack because the final attraction, uh, non-attraction poster card 
is one that I'm almost positive we've also gotten before. It's 1962's Safari Shooting Gallery. Yeah, we we definitely have. Uh, this was the the shooting gallery that was featured. I, I would assume in Ventureland, uh, and I've brought up that there's there used to be four shooting galleries at Disneyland, which is arguably four too many. Uh, and that is that card because we've already gotten it, and <laughs> our attraction poster of the pack is great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And it is a grayed out attraction poster with the opera house in the background. Great moments with Mr. Lincoln in red font over the top of it. The amazing audio animatronic show acclaimed by press and public, it says at the top. So that's the pull of the pod for this podcast episode. We got some duplicates. What's not looking good for us. I think we have got about eight left eight or so left here uh, <laughs> all right we got we got we, some time but it's yeah, like we're episodes. in like the seventh inning and we yeah. need some hits here so okay uh that that's the pull of the pod we'll be back next time all right well let's go ahead then and hop back into the bracket to remind everyone we are discussing the best disney death that is excluding marvel and star wars movies and properties uh, the demographic that selected our field of 16 was people at uh, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party slash Oogie Boogie's Bash dressed as the character they were taking a picture with. So we asked our interns to ask them, what's the best Disney death? We had our field of 16. We have whittled it down to a round of eight. We've got number one, Bambi's mom versus number nine, Tadashi. Number 13, Arlo's dad versus number five, Ray from Princess and the Frog. Number two, Mufasa versus number seven, Coral. And number three, Ellie versus number 11, Dr. Facilier. So uh, number one, we got Bambi's mom versus Tadashi. We talked a lot about Bambi's mom uh, last episode. This is an iconic Disney death. This mm-hmm. is this is this is Bambi. The death of Bambi's mom is the movie Bambi uh, for for most people's memory of that picture. Um, some of the downsides, it, it doesn't really seem to phase Bambi very much after it goes down. He does cry a little bit. You know, yeah. he's sad that he lost his mom in the moment. He calls out for his mom. Yeah. The, the movie slows down and gets real quiet. Uh, you definitely feel the weight of the moment when it happens. Super snowy. And you get Bambi's dad roll up and he's like, mama's gone. Time to be a big boy. Big boy deer now. Going up against Tadashi, which uh, we talked so much about last week. Really um, a death that impacts our main character, our hero hero. It was somewhat of an unexpected death because it was you know, someone that was kind of being set up to be an ally and a mentor to yep. our hero. Um, and then it's all gone in, a, in an instant in a very kind of violent way. Yeah, <laughs> Tadashi totally. runs back into a burning building uh, to be a savior and it explodes and that's really aggressive. Um, so he's blowed up. Tadashi does kind of end up living on throughout big hero six. Uh, he lives on in hero's memory as well as within Baymax himself. Yeah. Uh, Baymax brings up some like archival footage of Tadashi at various points. And it's very clear that this, um, Baymax character was really like born out of Tadashi's heart. And I love the way that Dana articulated it when we talked best Disney robots. Baymax is a healer character. 
and, and a lot of that healer energy is missing from the real world as well as the Disney world. So I think Tadashi and Baymax are one in the same in that respect. Uh, the heart of Tadashi is a healer. Therefore, Baymax's heart is that of a healer as well. The, one, of the, one of the most tragic things about Tadashi's death is that it was for nothing because he ran in to save this guy Callahan who ends up being the villain in the movie. Right. <laughs> uh, Callahan was in there. He was just like in his super, super villain outfit mm-hmm. inside of the little magnetic bots that Hero created saving himself. Tadashi he just died for nothing. So it's really sad in the end when you learn when, when you kind of like realize that. Here's a hot take. That mm. I, I did not come up with this, okay? This is something that I found on the internet. Okay. I, I don't really know how to feel about it. Maybe we can talk about it and, and decide on an opinion together. Tadashi, still alive. This is the evidence that apparently uh, is used to support that claim. They never find the body of Tadashi. There is kind of like a memorial service of sorts, but there's no coffin. It's just like a bunch of people standing around a very small headstone. The fire department rolls up to this burning building like very soon after the explosion and therefore there probably wouldn't be enough time for Tadashi's body to be completely incinerated in that moment. Like they would probably find some, some. Okay. Uh, Tadashi was very close with Callahan, like really close. Yeah. Like Callahan describes him as like a prodigy or a protege or apprentice or something. How do you not, how would you not know that you're, mentor the person you are closest to in the world is not a super villain okay are we saying that not only is Tadashi alive but he's in cahoots so big hero six is a marvel comic (laughs) and there is a character a super villain in the big hero six comics that their origin is they were in some type of fiery explosion and they developed like fire abilities uh, and big hero six comes along and they kind of like redeem that villain and they become a hero as well. Okay. So, so in, in this theory, it is kind of predicting big hero seven or whatever that Tadashi will come back and be like a secret villain or like it'll be a, a, a faceless villain who turns out to be Tadashi at the end of the movie. Wow. Big Hero 6 exists in the universe of the X-Men. So just, just picture in your head for a moment, Baymax and Wolverine <laughs> fighting side by side. Yeah. Against Magneto. <laughs> How amazing would that be? That's the next, that's the... After they figured out the multiverse in this next Marvel phase, it's the... Exactly. So next thing that happens logically is (laughs) Spider-Man meets up with Baymax. Right. (laughs) Or Doctor Strange is like trying to uh, perform surgery on like, uh, I don't know. The, the Florence Pugh character from Black Widow. Right. Like, I'm only one doctor. I don't have anyone to help me. And then you, this shadow comes up out of nowhere. How would you describe your pain? Oh, Baymax. Bay, Baymax uh, deflated when we talked about Turnt Boy Baymax when he's like drunk coming home uh, is actually just uh, Tony Stark as 
himself right like tony stark in what the second one first one mm-hmm. second one he like goes off the I rails so, yeah. and throws that like drunken party puts on the armor i mean has the, armor. the the baymax armor stark, stark industries tech so sort of we might be on to something so um i like i said i did not come up with this theory but i i don't completely disagree with it <laughs> okay that being said, it does not undermine kind of like what we know in Big Hero 6 as it exists now. And we can really only judge this death on that. Uh, we talk about like what is a good death. For me, a good death is one that has a lot of emotional impact, impacts the characters around the person who died, impacts the events of the plot. Um, and Tadashi, Tadashi's death does that better than a lot of deaths out there. I'm advancing Tadashi pretty easily here. Ooh. Here's the thing that is so powerful about uh, Bambi's mother's death is that, like I said in the last episode, it's kind of built up that this lingering danger is always around. And yet this risk that this mother is willing to take for her child happens. She's willing to step out and bring her child there to feed her hungry child and do the best to protect him at the same time. I mean, deer don't have hands. They don't have pockets. She can't go out there and pick the food, pocket it up, pack it up, bring it back to the the den and feed her child. Child has to go out with her. And she alerts Bambi before bullets start flying to like start taking off, like it's time to go. And then once Bambi starts running, we start hearing the bullets fly. And it's this, this moment in which they're able to build up the suspense the entire time. You can almost assume, even if you've watched it for the first time, if we didn't know that Bambi's mom died, like if that wasn't just a point of conversation in pop culture history, that Bambi is devastating because his mom dies. There's a there's there's some hope. There's a glimmer of hope that they're going to be able, able to outrun this. And there's the moment where you get the final shot. Bambi makes it and says, we made it, mother. And you're like, oh, no. And after the we made it, mother, he's still looking for his mom, who we as the human audience know is definitely not coming back. Snowy, cold. The entire scene is actually cold to us. And then you get the cold father where it's like, this is life. Your mother can't be with you anymore. It's time time to go, time to grow up. And, and although... That like Bambi being removed from his mother probably would have happened around that time anyways. You had just brought up last episode that like this around this puberty time, the the kid goes off and kind of becomes independent from their mother and, and lives their own kind of life. The fact that this happens in such a devastating moment is very significant. Tadashi is also very significant because it does set Hiro on this path. And I brought it up last time that gives him kind of this motive. Now, you've kind of flipped the entire thing on its head that like, was this death for nothing? Was this death planned? Was this death in cahoots? Then now now I'm like, what is even this death? <laughs> what what could this death even I actually mean, be? We technically don't see Bambi's mom's death either. So there could be some disney cinematic universe where it turns out bambi bambi's mom was never shot and that it was a plan with the hunter so that they could work on some type of like i got one deer jerky ring 
No, I got one for you. Bambi's mom is in cahoots with the hunter, right? Yeah. So Bambi's mom knows that Bambi's this little wimp and he needs to learn and stop mooching off of her. And so she fakes her death so that Bambi can grow up to be the the strong male deer that she knows he can be if she doesn't if she's not around to coddle him. So the hunter and Bambi's mom go off in this partnership, right? And the hunter were there in Germany, by the way. The hunter <laughs> links up and becomes employed by the evil queen in Snow White. The hunter is told that he needs to go kill this fairest of them all and cut her heart out and bring it back to the, the queen. The hunter does it, but the hunter knows that, or the hunter goes out to find this fairest of them all, who is Snow White, but has this moment of realization that like he can't kill. He couldn't kill Bambi's mother. He, he's not going to kill this human. So he lets her off. Bambi's mother knows that the evil queen is after Snow White. So Bambi's mother teams up with the dwarves. And that's who Doc is riding on the way to kill the evil queen, dude. And then they end up being able to actually conquer and kill the evil queen. And that's that's the character arc of this Disney cinematic universe is that Bambi's mother is actually the seed for Snow White's uh, uh, like world. Wow. Makes sense. It makes sense to I'm, me. I'm ready to write a book. Forget this podcast stuff. I've got a story. Yeah, I'm going to go with the um, the iconic one. I'm going to go with Bambi's mom. I think that it, it's it's shock factor is up there with Tadashi. Tadashi's death is definitely like way more shocking because I definitely didn't see it coming. Um, but the the as you can tell, I like I like moments that make you sit with it. And Big Hero 6, they make you sit with it and you go through the kind of memorial part, but like the absolute dead silence and cold that you have to experience through Bambi's mother's death uh, really takes the audience into the movie with our hero uh, as opposed to kind of rushing along as I feel Big Hero 6 does, which means Emily and Michael, you two are up to break this tie. So... Kind of like last time, I think Bambi's mom's death is overrated. So I'm going to go with Tadashi on this one. I just think that like if, you know, she was like, yeah, my kid's a wimp. Then like you should stand up to your kid and be like, dude, you can wait to eat. Like chill out. Like, you know that these deer talk and they know that like going out, like they're like, what is this idiot doing? Like, you know, they killed. Like, what does she do? Like, I don't know. It just, it wasn't like a... A good thought process for her. So I just, I don't know. I listen and like I, I like animals. Like I want to put, I want to make that clear. <laughs> like it doesn't seem like it. I, I realize that, but like I just think the whole like storyline is just kind of like, I don't know what you were expecting. Like, I, and then with Sashi, like I think that his death is just, from what I can remember, is just so different than any other death like I don't remember someone getting blown up like that and it's just very like epic and big and it's different and kind of you know it is it has that shock factor so that's that's kind of where I'm at well in the words of Ham Porter from the Sandlot Bambi that wimpy deer (laughs) (laughs) all the way 
I mean, it's tragic, and it. Li- I know how you said you have to sit with it. I mean, Tadashi's death lingers on the entire movie, and at the end, where you know, Hero finds the little disc in Baymax and sees like the whole process of Tadashi basically setting up um, Baymax. Uh, like that's that's almost heart wrenching after everything he's already gone through, and so it just it goes back to the to like the actual death of it, just that more big and it, it just it hits me a little bit more than you know seeing like because when you look at Bambi's mom's death yeah they make it a family aspect because it's a movie but when it comes down to it it's it's a deer getting shot and you know <laughs> on her, the hunter's probably just trying to put food on the table for the winter you know sure I will say that like the the argument that Tadashi sticking with our hero who is hero throughout uh, the movie is definitely like a new Disney thing, right? Like Mufasa reincarnated in the stars, Moana's grandmother being a manta ray that kind of sticks with her throughout her entire journey. That's definitely a a trope of best Disney death. So I'll allow it. All right, let's move on to this next matchup. It is the number 13 Arlo's dad from The Good Dinosaur versus the number five uh, Ray Lightning Bug from Princess and the Frog. Yeah, The Good Dinosaur, Michael brought it up. Good Dinosaur, not a good movie. It is, it's not a good movie. But I will say this, this death slapped me in the face when I saw it in theaters. I, I, I just didn't expect it to happen like that. Like... Disney's known movies are known for killing off people in like very dramatic fashion. You have Bambi and and his mom running through the forest forever. You have the longest title sequence in history to kill off Todd's mother. You have Dr. Facilier being dragged into the other side. But there's like a flash flood. Our characters realize it. A moment of Arla's dad trying to climb up to safety. And then is instantly swept away. Just boom. Mm. And then darkness. And if when you're watching it in a theater and that screen goes black, there's no light in that theater. You're just, everybody's just sitting in darkness. Maybe the exit rows on your sides, but you're just sitting in darkness. And you're, not only is it dark, no score, no sounds, no music, no anything. You're just like in the moment thinking about what happened. And the last thing you saw was the white of the eyes of Arlo's dad. You made eye contact with Arlo's dad in that moment. He turned and looked at us and he said, I'm, I'm done. That's it. Here comes the water. And there's, and there's no like, you know, uh, I always imagine near-death experiences in rivers as being like sassy from Homeward Bound. We talked about her where <laughs> she's like swimming and kind of bobbing up and down through a river. And usually if like a death is going to occur, it goes off the edge on off of a waterfall or something. But no, this wall of water hit this grown dinosaur and killed it. And that's crazy. It, it's just crazy how not only how fast it happened, how long we sat with the mourning period and then... The family was back to business, right? Like they, we obviously jumped ahead in time. He had been buried. We see his little memorial site. There's been some leaves that have piled up on it. And the family's like harvesting their, their farm, which is a 
point of why the good dinosaur is so ridiculous and not great is because like why is this dinosaur family farming land like just make them actual dinosaurs but uh, i just like and also it's been a minute since i've seen the good dinosaur and i was not gonna watch that entire movie for this bracket so like i'm going to say that this death definitely influenced arlo's decisions for the rest of the movie it definitely doesn't at the very beginning he's very afraid of everything but there's a moment i think in which it clicks and it's when he meets like those t-rex rangers out on this like field and he's like running with them he like they they basically become these like father figures and then there's some sort of memory that kicks in and reminds him of his dad and what he had said and whatever it doesn't actually matter because uh the good dinosaur is bad ray is that lovable character that chris brought up that like you you don't expect to be as sad because he's just kind of a side character but once it like he's just so happy go lucky right there's nothing about him that in, like infers that there is a bad bone in his body in his little bug body right because he's infatuated with a star we all know that this is a star and he's a lightning bug and thinking that star is one of one of his own lightning bugs and we're all just like oh oh bless his heart as they say in the south right and because of that we kind of sympathize with the guy like he just doesn't know any better and he and he's everything he does is because he has the best in his heart and in his mind to accomplish it and he he does that here he he dies in this like valiant way he's going to try and help defeat this major villain in this storyline in this world in new orleans and he achieves that he gets tiana the the charm he fights off the shadow monsters and then he gets absolutely crunched <laughs> and it's and it's tough for the audience who has lived with this character for the entire movie so when it's up against arlo's dad arlo's dad is shocking it is heavy it is fast it is out of nowhere but the rapport that we've built up with ray throughout the entire movie makes that death a little bit more impactful despite his dumbass becoming a star and joining his star love and i hate that a lot but we don't get enough time with arlo's dad i'm going number five right so um arlo and his father and his whole family uh are sauropods okay. sauropods are the big neck dinosaurs <laughs> so kind of in like early um scientific renderings of dinosaurs a lot of times sauropods were placed in water in these illustrations they thought that something about the biology of these dinosaurs in particular hmm. made them seem like they probably lived in water yeah the long neck being one of those like they could submerge their body in water so only their necks are out making them a little bit more i guess covered to to attack because these are uh, herbivores question they, for you okay Grand Canyon diorama, Disneyland. Hmm. Are those dinosaurs waiting in the water as they're eating from those trees? I can't I don't, remember. I don't remember seeing any dinosaur legs. They might be in water. So, so we don't have any evidence that would suggest that these animals know how to swim at all. Okay. Uh, maybe one, maybe one or two types of sauropod, but uh, their body 
would suggest that they they are not swimmers. Uh, but they often did live around water um, as as a means of like evading attack from carnivorous dinosaurs. So I, that water looked pretty deep. That that was kind of like swooping away uh, Arlo's dad. So I, I do think he probably would have had to have swim, kind of like know how to swim. Sure. It was pretty deep and powerful, but do sauropods weigh a lot? They're they're like some <laughs> of the biggest land. I think the biggest land animals ever exist on this planet. So sure, uh, would have to be a lot of water to move that big boy. The diorama dinosaur is waiting in water. By the way, mm. questionable. Well, I mean that would make sense because that was around the same time that they were creating these illustrations uh, with the sauropod in the water. Uh, no, I'm with you on Ray. I think it's uh, more impactful on all of us. The fact that it happens at the end uh, makes it kind of a bittersweet moment to end the movie, and I really like that. I'll talk a little bit more about things I like about Ray's death in the next round. Emily and Michael, do you all agree with Ray moving on to the final four? I actually do, yeah. I think it's really funny because you guys keep bringing up the point of when he just, like, stares at you. Oh, it's bad. But, like... I don't know if I'm just like messed up in the head, but when that happened, I couldn't stop laughing and I don't know why I think I'm just, but like, you know, those people that like in an uncomfortable situations, they just laugh. I think that's just how I am. So like for him to look at you and then just like disappear, I was just like, what is going on? (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. But at the same rate, the movie is, absolute trash so like i really just like wouldn't want to talk about it anymore (laughs) so like i think ray and you know like kind of what you were saying is like we get to know him more so you know it is more impactful and he's completely just innocent in all of it like he did nothing wrong to end up where he did so yeah i i definitely agree with ray uh arlo's dad getting swept away like that um, it's a lot like Regina George getting hit by the bus. In <laughs> You're not wrong. And that's how Arlo's dad died. We <laughs> <laughs> got hit by a bus. I, I get it. <laughs> All right, let's hop over to the other side of the bracket. We've got a great matchup. Number two, Mufasa versus number seven, Coral. Talked a lot about all of the great elements of Mufasa's death in the last matchup. Um, Everyone knows it. Everyone knows how big of a deal it is uh, for the movie Lion King, for Simba's development as a character. Coral. So some, some things I want to add on to our discussion about Coral last week. They do this really fun banter, Marlon yep. and Coral, about them like living in this anemone. And it's like a conversation to parents might have when they're buying a home in the suburbs. It's like, oh, great schools, like lots of space, uh, close to, you know, nature, whatever. Uh, She's like, do you think we need this much space? Um, Pretty (laughs) cute um, and kind of a funny, like tongue in cheek reference to uh, like suburban life. I think when you think about Coral's death, you often think about, oh, like the loss of a mother, loss of a wife. But it's easy to forget that that death is also the loss of like safety and like a normal life. Yeah. Um, it's the Barracuda is a threat to how we go about our business on the, on a daily basis. And so that kind of like terror that's always lurking in the background, it's frightening. Totally. 
the Barracuda. There's some weird stuff. There's some stuff I don't really like about the the execution of the Barracuda. Uh, there's some weird perspective stuff going on because uh, you see Coral like staring off into the distance, and then you get like her POV, and the Barracuda is like pretty far out there, and then it the camera like reverses back and it looks like the Barracuda is like right there about to feast. And then it goes back again. And then he's like out there again. Uh, I don't know if that was just an animation snafu, but I always uh, notice that too. And I think it's always just to try and like put you in, in their, put you in their fins that they're so small, right. Mm -hmm. That it's so big. But then when we look back out at it, it's at, like that thing is very far and like Marlon points out at it. He's like, that's later on. He says, that's not a small fish. That's a, a big fish when he's referring to the whale because he's had that experience in which it looks small, but it's actually absolutely massive to them. I think that that's the perspective they're trying to put on us is that like she thought she could measure out that she could save these kids or whatever she needed to do because it seems so far. But this thing is huge. I don't doubt that Marlin isn't a swole boy, but there's no way he could land those punches on that Barracuda the way that he did. He would have to swim with such, such propulsion yeah. in his fins to be able to like knock him like that. It's like, ooh, ooh. What theory can we come up with for Marlin uh, being able to take on that Barracuda? <laughs> I have none. I have none. <laughs> This moment is a pivotal moment for the development of Nemo. We talked about his lucky fin the last episode. Um, it's also the origin of Marlin's uh, flaw in, in his control issue. He says to Nemo, I'll never let anything happen to you after he's the only egg left. And in that moment, you're like, that is very sweet. Protective father. Uh, good. I'll never let anything happen to you. Good. Good thing to say. But kind of like as time to progresses, the effect of not letting you go to school, <laughs> right? It's like okay, you gotta you gotta let some things happen to you because you know if you don't, then you never do anything, you never grow, yep. and that's really that's that's the theme of Finding Nemo is that releasing of the control and like believing in other people that they can do the things that you maybe don't think that they can do. Um, so uh, this this coral death is really the origin of all of that. These are two very similar deaths. Uh, I think I'm gonna. Ha- I think I'm gonna have to go with Coral because I think I like the getting eaten uh, better than trampled by wildebeest. You know, I like the Coral death a lot. I love that beginning, opening title sequence of Finding Nemo so much. Uh, you you talked about it on the last episode that you you'll sit on the Bay Bridge traffic just listening to this opening score of Finding Nemo. And then it encapsulates you into the moment. And that's what the the death does, right? Like you don't really know what to expect out of Finding Nemo when you see it for the first time. And, and, and you definitely don't expect it opening with the death of the main character's wife, right? And that's tough. Mufasa's uh, death is a master plan orchestrated phenomenally for the villain they are able to get the bait into the gorge they're able to make the bait think that they caused the stampede they're able to make it look like an accident uh the entire death and it's able to 
withstand the entire movie until, you know, five minutes before the death of the villain. The entire movie is based around the fact that Simba killed his dad and he can't show his face anymore and he has to stay away, but Scar has taken over and and dried out to the Pride Lands and Simba has to come back and take his place on the throne even though he doesn't know that his dad was actually killed. The back and forth through between the the killer and the uh victim is not something that we really see on this bracket. Barracuda just kills Coral. Ray just gets stepped on. Tadasha gets blowed up. Bambi's mom is in cahoots with the hunter, but we don't know that. Bambi's mom gets shot. Ellie's sick and dies. Like, there's no sort of negotiation except Dr. Facilier, really. Um, But you have this, like, looking in the eye death moment where it's like, nope. I'm going to do this. And the arguably the best death line in in history maybe? I don't know. I'm you're the you're the movie guy. You can t- tell me a better one maybe, but like Scar saying long live the king and then killing the king is incredible. It is do very I feel good. lucky. Well, <laughs> do you punk that's 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 got okay that's actually a good one there's actually probably a good um good pirates one i could come up with if i really thought about it but i i I think i'm gonna go with mufasa here i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the two seed i'm gonna let that 90s bias spill in a little bit uh i i do like coral's death as a really really good disney death but there's just something so complete and uh i'm gonna say it iconic about Mufasa's death. Uh, I, I have this Tala Moana's grandma effect that Emily had in which all I can think about is sitting on the, the banks of Paradise Pier watching World of Color and hearing Simba calling out into the darkness, Dad? Dad? Kills me every time. I'm going Mufasa, which means Michael and Emily, you two are breaking this tie. So I definitely see how Coral's death is sad. And it's also not just Coral who dies. It's like hundreds, if not thousands of babies who also die. Oh, you are right. This is a yeah. genocide that we've experienced. Yeah. So like, it's it's pretty intense. Um, but at the same time, I still think Mufasa's death is just, as you said, iconic. But it's just on top of that, it's you have Simba who witnesses it. He thinks that he's done it. And then he literally runs away because his uncle's like, get out of here. They're going to come for you. And then like he goes off. I mean, he seems to be like living his best life, you know, with Timon and Pua, but he still is mentally and emotionally scarred, like no pun intended, but like, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I gotta go Mufasa on this one. Oh yeah. It's Mufasa all the way. I mean, y'all, y'all made all the points. One word, iconic. It is what it is. You know, everybody knows about it. You don't have to be a Disney fan to know about Mufasa's death. Like it is what it is. James Earl Jones, voice of Mufasa, iconic. 
also bringing back happily ever after great part when uh, james earl jones voice comes up simba be who you are remember who you yeah. are and then it echoes and yeah oh yeah and then yeah oh yeah so good everything just leads back to happily ever after. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> all right chris i don't know if you know this but james earl jones was also the voice of darth vader also the voice of um the neighbor in sandlot he was yeah also just the neighbor of the sandlot but i'm just saying that i'm a big star wars guy so i knew that all right let's move on to this next matchup it is the number three ellie from up versus number 11 dr facilier this is a matchup right here um ellie from up chris you did a great job of describing it you did a great job of talking about its impact and we've there's some topics that we talk a lot about on this podcast. Uh, one, Bing Bong being sus. Two, Ellie's death being better as a short. And so I feel like we don't need to continue to harp on that. But it's a nice telling of life and, you know, not always doing what's safest, but taking those chances, going on those adventures because you just don't know what's going to happen. Life can come at you quick. Uh, death is close i mean in this in this uh you know 15 10 15 minute short we don't only see the death of ellie but we see like a miscarriage happen and like there's just so many aspects of this that is screaming at ellie and carl to live their best life and go on this adventure that they've wanted to go on or or live to their fullest and maybe not do what everyone says life should be, which is get married, have kids, have a family, have a white picket fence, go live out your life. Because even your white picket fence isn't forever. And we see that with Carl and his house trying to get built on. And he literally has to float away in order to escape it. It's just this like whole live live life to its fullest moment uh, message. And I, I really like that a lot about it. But I don't feel like that's ever Disney's message with death. Disney's message with death is often like this thing happened in an epic fashion or in a way that that changes the course. And, and granted, it does change the course of Carl, but almost like life itself changed the course for Carl. Russell changed the course for Carl. Like... Ellie's death definitely impacted him in the fact that it made him stay put and try and outlive the world around him. But there were also all of the factors surrounding it, like him going to a retirement home, the buildings getting built up around him, Russell coming around and being like annoying. And that kind of also led. And he had this self-realization that like adventure was what isn't their whole thing adventure is out there adventure is calling whatever their the up saying is because of all of these factors not necessarily because of ellie he had that self-realization afterwards that that it was because of ellie and honestly like i'm glad that they didn't do like a mufasa moment or a, a tala moment or anything like can you imagine ellie showing up as like a force ghost and being like carl you should have gone on I that can. it would have been it would have made the movie 10 times better <laughs> oh no what if ellie's uh kevin the bird the entire time and just like kevin mm -hmm. the bird is like nagging them to 
to you know Kev- kevin's like the the free willing sidekick the what's supposed to be the cute sidekick what if that's ellie reincarnated this is the episode of theories and i'm here for well, it i mean there ellie and carl's relationship is is a little bit too perfect at least what we see of it you know like i would love to see her come back and be like carl stop being an asshole sure carl get your ass out of that chair yeah yeah carl, mow the lawn just just <laughs> it's more of a haunting this is the premise of the new haunted mansion uh uh movie is that it's just the nagging like spouse trying to get carl up his off his ass and it turns into the haunted mansion all all of the dead disney characters we know put them in the haunted mansion let's do it i'm game <laughs> oh, oh wow so many episodes of chris wanting to change the haunted mansion uh eddie murphy all of the disney char- dead disney characters you're ready yep. for change in the Honda Mansion. Mm-hmm. 100%. They already, <laughs> they already ruined it with the Hatbox Ghost. Once you did that, that that's it. You broke the seal. <laughs> Dr. Facilier's death, the negotiation of death. Like, Dr. Facilier has been on the edge of death his entire existence in this movie. He's forever trying to please his friends on the other side to buy himself a little bit more time along the way. His whole existence is based on making deals with the living. He's feeding these friends on the other side. And that all the way to the end, he's trying to convince Tiana to make a deal to feed his friends on the other side, to stay alive, to make another deal, to continue on so that he can exist. And it catches up to him. We said that last episode where life just catches up to you and and uh, the deeds of your wrongdoing will come back to bite you in the end. And that's quite literally what happens. He gets eaten up by this voodoo totem type figure. And f- as far as villain deaths go, there's a lot of falling into fire. You have Frollo, you have Scar who is falling into fire and then cannibalized by his like hyenas. But there's not too many of like drag me to hell moments like there is with Dr. Facilier. Maleficent's a dragon that gets like struck down. Underrated Disney death, I guess. Uh, and so this is a moment in which we're we're seeing, you know, F- Frollo had a moment in which Quasi could have killed him. And there's this like negotiation. And then Esmeralda woke up. And Quasimodo got distracted and turned around to go get Esmeralda. And Frollo was able to, like, get his sword out. But there's not a whole lot. And even Scar negotiates. But there's not a whole lot of moments in which they're literally being dragged to their death and trying to sweet talk out of it. And I like it. I I like that it's, it's that full circle coming back. Your friend's are not always your friends. Those who have wrong intentions, like those those who you know you shouldn't trust, you shouldn't trust them. Like Dr. Facilier, yeah, you're these friends you're making a deal with are taking advantage of you. You're not you're not in on with the cool kids sort of thing. That's a stretch of a metaphor, but that's basically what's happening here. Um yeah, and this match this matchup is tough. I'm I I I'm gonna say it. Upset. 11, Dr. Facilier feels like a good villain death. You see some villain deaths in Disney. Uh, Ellie's is quick at the beginning. It sticks with you for sure. But I think that there's a lot more that influences the story besides her death while there's some other 
you know, even on this bracket, there were more, there were other deaths that influenced our hero's journey more than hers. Um, no, I, I like that you point out the way he pleads on his way out, Dr. Facilier. I think most Disney villains are cowards at heart and the root of a lot of their evil is fear, is weakness. Um, and it just manifests itself in a really unhealthy way. Love Dr. Facilier's headstone he gets once he's sucked into the other world. Like yeah. his face is permanently stuck in this like, oh, <laughs> position. Um, and so as far as like a, a Disney villain's death, this is this is top tier. But I think, you know, as we've gone through this bracket, I think I appreciate the hero death, the ally death hmm. more than I appreciate the villain death, just because the villain death just is such a natural a plot point of any Disney story or fairy tale or epic or whatever. Um, and to have a death that sets up the origin of a character or sets them on their way on an adventure, that is a good death to me. Um, it really kind of like brings out their character. And while Ellie's death kind of does the opposite, it kind of like uh, plunges Carl's character in the wrong direction. Um, it's still impactful on, on the way that we know them. So I'm going with Ellie to the final four, which means Emily and Michael, you are all breaking the tie. So I think with Dr. Pasilia, he kind of like played himself and sure. it's also, again, it's hard to justify like a villain's death and like the way that they like did it being different is, you know, cool in that aspect, but I think again with Ellie's death, it's just more, like I said, you know, before it's more human. And I think also the fact that it literally took zero words through that entire sequence to get that emotion. And I think that in itself is pretty impactful that they literally didn't have to say anything for people to then end up crying at the end. Whereas you have Dr. Pasley, like, don't take me, don't take me. It's like, nah, no, take him, please. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I definitely think, uh, I think it's Ellie. And something that I go back to it is, I, as weird as it is to say, her death in the end kind of helped him live. Like he, like her, her inspiration on him, like the way that she was adventurous, he was, you know, he was the shy one. He was the one not really willing to get out of that, get out of his space for so long. But in the end, her death, like, got got him out, got him to, you know, the adventure is out there. He really got to experience life because of her, because of her death. And, you know, we don't know what the result would have been if, you know, she had been there or, you know, what... Or if, you know, the other characters, Russell, Doug, Kevin, all of those would have, what would have happened if they had not been there? So I think that although Ellie's death is super sad, it does, it brings a very lighthearted moment towards the end of the movie where, you know, he realizes that she would want him to live and that's what he goes on and does. All right, y'all, we're down to the final four. It's nine Tadashi versus five Ray and two Mufasa versus three Ellie. So let's start off with our first final four matchup. It's nine Tadashi versus five Ray. Um, this is this is a good one for me uh, for two completely different reasons. The Tadashi one hits a really close to home for me. Uh, I am a younger brother. I have an older brother who is way smarter than I am. And uh watching that scene for the first time where you see this this little bro who's kind of the 
I wasn't like a, a scrappy little kid, but, uh, you know, I was a little bit more, I would say, uh, not interested in like a traditional school and education and doing my homework and stuff like that. I was a little (laughs) bit, I had a little bit more of the creative gene in my body. And so like seeing their relationship together pre-death, uh, really reminded me of my own relationship with my brother and to see Tadashi just explode in an instant, definitely kind of like got me in the feels a little bit. I mean, that was as a little kid, that was one of my worst fears. And to an extent still is lose, losing uh, someone who was so close to you and a role model. Uh, we didn't even talk about how not only is Hiro losing his brother in this moment, but Tadashi was very much a father figure to Hiro as well. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. they were without their parents and living with their aunt Cass. So uh, like this was, Tadashi was really the only person Hiro had as guidance. And so it, it leaves a huge hole uh, in Hiro's heart for sure. Um, and one that definitely like, I said, I feel it when I see it happen on screen. I love Ray's death for a whole nother reason. It is, it, it borderlines on parody, the death of Ray. Uh, you talked about how he gets swatted out of the air, like very unceremoniously swatted and then stepped on. Um, like for a, it, it makes so much sense. You know, it's like, it's a firefly. Of course. Like he's an insect. He's going to get swatted and stepped on. Like yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nothing epic about it at all but i love dr facilier does this little look after he does the deed he like he he like pops his collar he knows exactly what he just did and and like rubs his nose or something and then like gives like a weird like look off camera and then just walks away like cliche super cliche like yes no one saw anything keep going (laughs) keep walking here uh and then like uh, the alligator dude was his name. His name is Big Al, right? No, Louis. Louis, Big Al. Who's Big Al? Big Al's toy barn. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, Michael? Uh, country bears. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, country bears. Country bears, Jamboree, Big Al. Uh, Louis has has Ray's body, dying body, and like puts it down on the ground, and he's like, he's like looking at. Ray has this blank stare in his face and he like blinks a couple times and his eyes start getting like really glossy and spacey. And he's just like, you can just tell he's about to die. And it just, I don't know. It's goofy to me yeah. in a good way. Um, and then, like I said, they give him this Viking funeral that is like so extra for, it's a literal insect just got squished and he's got this like Viking funeral thing where everyone in the bayou is like watching him sail on this leaf down the river. Uh, feels very ham fisted and I am very here for it. Um, and I mean, a, a lot of these characters, they die really poetically and they're, they're deaths that are not, I mean, Tadashi's death is somewhat surprising, but it's like, okay, you know, it's to set up our hero hero. So I, I'm buying it, but Ray did not deserve to die. Like of, <laughs> of all of the people in that movie, like Ray did not deserve to die. And that makes his death uh, very touching. I am going with Ray to the finals. I'm going to Dashi to the finals because I think that his, he also didn't deserve to die unless we're looking in the lens of him being in cahoots with the villain, which we actually don't know. But he definitely didn't deserve to die. He was somebody that we 
were established as very important to Hero's life, to Hero's development, and helped shape the rest of his his world. And while Mufasa is reincarnated into this star figure, as Ray is, Ray's is just dumb. It's just them shoehorning this like him falling in love with the star oh ray he doesn't know any better and uh, oh at the end he actually does get with the girl that he loved which is the star it's, it's dumb perfect. i hate it I, it's, it's stupid perfect. it's stupid we he could have just died a, a valiant hero for the cause like the the folks on the beach of scarif and he could have been a soldier of the anti voodoos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wrap it up. <laughs> it's Tadashi for me. Tadashi to the finals. That was the more impactful death, which means that we're going to Emily and Michael. Um, so this was tough, but I think with Ray, like, you know, like it's been touched on, like he is innocent and he didn't deserve to die, but like he got to end up with this girl in the end. So like, you know, he's, He's up there living. Um, but with Tadashi, like, um, he also didn't deserve to die. Like, he's completely innocent as well. And, oh, man, I don't know. This is tough. I think, I think in the moment, like, you don't realize that what he did was completely unnecessary, knowing that he was going to try and save the villain of the movie. And so I think that like, when you get to that point, you have these like retrospective thoughts of like, oh my gosh, like this could have been absolutely prevented. Like he did not need to to go run in there. Um, so I just think that that like hurts more than Ray because you kind of feel happy for Ray because he gets what he wants. But with Tadashi, it's kind of like he gets screwed over. So I think I'm going to go with Tadashi on this one. Yeah. Um, gosh, see, if it, if it had been all up to me, this would have been so hard because I, I really enjoy the character of Ray. I mean, just a good old boy, simple, like literally the definition will give you the shirt off his back and he literally died for it. Like he, he did whatever he had to do to help his friends and, you know, he, he didn't deserve to die, especially with a crunch. I mean, brutal, <laughs> brutal. <laughs> but again, like Emily said, and it's already been said, I mean, he gets he gets his happy ending, you know, being up in the stars with his bell Evangeline. And with Tadashi, what Chris said also resonates with me. I'm a big brother with a little brother. And we have a really close relationship. So I know for me that it, I guess it, it really resonated and I really feel that moment a lot more. And like Emily said, knowing that he went in to save somebody who in the end is a bad person. It just, it, it come, it all, it all comes back to you. Just like when you see Tadashi with um, fixing up Baymax and, hero watches the video of it and all of those moments come back and hit you like gosh that was so unnecessary it's so sad it was so unwarranted and 
So I, I definitely think Tadashi defines the better Disney death in this situation. All right, let's move on to the last final four matchups. Number two, Mufasa versus number three, Ellie. And for me, it's number two, Mufasa. There's just so much more at stake with Mufasa. There's so much more behind Mufasa's death. Mufasa's death serves as such a fork in the road for so many folks involved. Uh, It is a pivotal moment, not only for the villain, but for our hero. It is just serves as the heart of the Lion King. Imagine if Mufasa's death was botched. It would end right there. If Mufasa like survived, he would have been like, Scar, you try to like claw me off this cliff, dude. Now we got to like send you to the hyena jail and you, you get eaten over there. Like it's over. It's over for you. Mufasa is definitely the one moving on. This feels like the one and two. If like, if we had surveyed maybe not as diehard parks people that were like dressing up as the characters that were there, like people love Mufasa's death. People love Ellie's death as far as like traumatizing moments in their Disney lives. Uh, I can see this as a one, two punch, which is why it makes sense that it's here. But Mufasa number two is moving on to the finals. I'm going to give credit to Mandy for this argument that I'm about to make right here. I am advancing Ellie because to say Mufasa's death is the best Disney death is just saying that Hamlet is the best Shakespearean masterpiece because it's literally just Hamlet ripped off. And, and saying Mufasa's death is better than Ellie's is, uh, a disc- is giving the Lion King and its writers too much credit because they stole it from Shakespeare. So, uh, Emily and Michael, y'all breaking another tie here. You can say that Disney is rooted in retelling stories from authors before it. It is. So if you want to say that the best Disney death is not the best Disney death because it ripped off of another author, then I need you to remember what the first five movies of Disney's existence was. Yeah, that's why they're no longer on this bracket. <laughs> Emily Michael, you're rigging the die. Okay, so remember how I said that I had two options that were I flip-flopped back and forth on. So these were the two. And I I just it's so hard because I think I think like with Mufasa's death like it is it has that iconic aspect but like that can only go so far as far as like a tragic death whereas like with Ellie like you see like how she influenced Carl like in their entire lifespan and re-watching like all of the different death scenes like I, I like, I literally never cry, but that made me cry. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I don't know, like, maybe it's just because it's like, I'm a woman. And so like, I get like, you know, those fears of like what she like went through. And so it's like, I can relate more. Um, But I think that it's just, 
yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's so sad. I think I have to go with Ellie on this one. Well, well it's your, it's your answer. Uh, <laughs> it was Mufasa for me. I mean, iconic. It, I, it can't be said enough. I mean, Chris, yes, it, Lion King might, might be overrated, but that scene itself is properly rated. It is everything that it's built up to be. It, I mean, I think the score is perfect. The sequencing is perfect. And it literally lays out the entire story based on that alone. So, so I, I mean, Ellie. Got him. <laughs> yeah, but there's a, lo- there's a lot of things that happen in Up that have nothing to do with Ellie. Like, <laughs> Evan. Kevin, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Kevin, that you guys are talking about, right? That like maybe it's Ellie reincarnated. Doesn't Kevin have a, a baby? Like, doesn't she have a kid? That could be their miscarried baby. That like, oh my gosh! Now we're cooking with gas. The whole thing. This is the theory pod. <laughs> this is definitely the theory pod. It's to be with Carl, yeah. But Emily is sending on Ellie. So, all right. But. Final matchup is number nine Tadashi versus number three Ellie. We've broke these down enough. These are two very worthy deaths to be in the finals here. They're deaths that um, have great impact on the characters that surround these two uh, deaths that greatly impact the plot of the films that happen after them. So I'm just going to have to go with my gut here. The best death is the one that hits harder. And for me, it's number three Ellie. You know, I, I'm shooketh because I don't want this finals to be the finals because I don't, I believe that Mufasa's death is the best Disney death, thousand percent. There is no way that it's not, but here we are declaring that it's not and it's nine Tadashi and three Ellie. And I, I like, there's nowhere for me to run. It has to be Ellie. I've this entire time I've spoken about how impactful deaths that make you sit with them are. Uh, and there's nothing like Ellie's death that makes you sit. You see the kind of the the rise of the relationship at the same time as the decline of Ellie. And so you see it happen even before it happens. You know it's going to happen. She's literally walking up a hill as her health is declining, right? And we see her stumble. And that that moment is just so like impactful. You just know that uh, the end is near. Like this, this sucks. Nothing good can come out of this exact moment right here. And like I said, it does set up the course, maybe not as directly as I wish it did, like Mufasa's dad does, but it does set up the course for the rest of our, our like, quote unquote, hero's journey for the movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tadashi is also does the same, uh, but I think that the impact of Ellie and the way that it draws you in really hooks you in those 10 minutes is greater than how we get hooked into Tadashi and Hiro's relationship at the beginning of Big Hero 6. So Chris, I am with you. The best Disney death is the number three death of Ellie from Pixar's Up. And as we do at the end of every single bracket, we are going to clap it out. 
Never in my days did I think that we would see up win a Mouse Madness bracket, but here we are. Emily and Michael, what do you think about that? I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great choice. Um, But I think also um, there's a scene that we haven't talked about where it's like down the road where Carl is like on the verge of just like giving up and he finally reaches the waterfall and then he goes into the house and he looks at their adventure book and he's flipping through those pages and he gets to the one of like things I want to do. And he thinks that it's completely empty, but all of the pictures are of them together. And like, you know, she had these, these dreams and aspirations, but he became her dream and it, yeah, I think it's a great, great choice. So completely agree. I think Ellie is a very worthy winner. Um, I think that, again, Tadashi is something that really resonates with me personally. Um, I'm not saying that's the way that I would have voted, but I don't know. When I think of Carl and Ellie, I think of the time that they did have together. They had literally almost a lifetime worth of happiness and adventure in their own words. But with Tadashi and Hiro, like, it was such it was such a short time and i mean tadashi was trying so hard to get hero back on track hero was finally making a turn and then just catastrophe and i mean that you know these kind of things happen in everyday life and it's just so it's just really sad and something that's super impactful um but again it, it's so hard to say that like when it comes to the definition of best Disney death that like, you don't think of Ellie because it, I mean, it's, we've said it from the beginning. Like if this was a Pixar short, it might've won an Oscar. Like it was, it was that good. Just, and when everybody talks about that movie, it's always the Ellie death scene. It's not, it's not the rest of the movie. It's always, Oh my gosh, the first five minutes make me cry. The rest of the movie's okay. That's what everybody says about it. So, I mean, definitely a worthy winner. Totally. Well, thank you both. Emily, thank you for your first time guest hosting. You did great. We can't wait to have you back for an episode about space. And Michael, thank you again for joining us for your your second or third time here on the podcast. We really appreciate you both. Yeah, thanks for having me. I don't know uh, how how I feel about the space thing, but, um, but yeah. I will definitely come back as long as it's not that. (laughs) Always happy to be here, guys. All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Mouse Madness, another Mouse Madness bracket in the books. Do you have something to say about our decisions on this bracket? Do you have a bracket idea of your own? Do you want to hop in and do some co-hosting, tie-breaking duties? We would love to hear from you. Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. Those are all linked in the description of this podcast. And if you would like to subscribe to Jerry's Gang and be a member of our Mouse Madness Patreon community, please go to patreon.com slash mousemadness. Till next time, folks, long live the king. (laughs) 